Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. My name is Dr. Emily Rausch, and I am here to share the ins and outs about the body and pole dancing. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another podcast episode. Obviously, I'm Emily. Samson is here in the room with me. He's been a little groany today, so hopefully he'll be able to not be super groany while I'm recording this. Um, I'm back. I was in California for a good chunk of last week through the weekend. We got back on Monday. It was honestly an adventure. Um, I feel like that's probably the best way to describe it. Um, the first three nights I stayed at, my husband came and joined me the, the third night, but the first two nights that I was there by myself, um, I have never experienced a hotel with so many issues, uh, especially a hotel that is, I think it was like a four-star hotel. It was like $400 a night with our group discount, um, which is like not that much of a discount. Um, originally when I booked it, it was, the rooms were in like the mid 500s a night and I would have, I still want to honestly fucking riot the fact that I paid $300 or $400 a night to stay there. I would have lost my mind if I actually ended up having to pay $500 a night with my experience. Um, the first night, the lights would not turn off in my room. Um, had the front desk person up there multiple times trying to figure out why they won't shut off um, and basically got told to suck it up buttercup because there were no other rooms available for me to um, move to. So I got to sleep the first night with the lights on. Zero out of 10 recommend. Um, and then the second night, the phone kept ringing sporadically throughout the night and it would only ring once there was no one on the line and it was enough to like wake you up right like hearing your phone ring you're like what the heck but then it wouldn't ring again so the first time it rang I thought it was hallucinating like I thought I was just dreaming that the phone was ringing but then it happened a couple hours later and I like rolled over to answer it because I'm like who the fuck is calling me at like three in the morning um no one was there and so I just left the phone like off the hook and then it happened again a couple hours later but there's a phone in the bathroom that I forgot about so it rang in the bathroom and at this point it was like a little after five so I just like didn't fall asleep um was it was not a fun not a fun time um and then my husband joined for the third the third night um his trip down started with a fiasco as well um a lot of this was just like mindset, like your mindset about experiences really truly matters. Um, he left his wallet on the airplane and he flies all the time. Like he flies to Alaska um, for work and then back to, to Boise every three weeks. So he's on an airplane like more often than than not, more often than a lot of people. Um, I don't know what happened. He doesn't know what happened. His wallet somehow left where he had put it and ended up on the plane didn't realize it until he was already in the uber like going towards the hotel so he literally got out of the the uber we dropped his stuff off and we went back to the airport to get his wallet because we were going to disneyland super early um the next morning um so instead of having this like romantic beach walk that i had planned um we just spent a lot of time in Ubers and in the airport to get his wallet back. And then Saturday and Sunday, we were at Disneyland. 
which was an amazing experience. Neither one of us had been um, been there for neither one of us had ever been there. It was our first time for both of us, and it was I like it's kind of difficult to explain if you've never been to Disneyland. Like it it was amazing. It was also just a lot. So many people, so many things. Um, we had kind of conflicting things that we wanted to do, like my husband and I. Um, turns out he really likes roller coasters. I did not realize that about my husband. We've been together for 10 years. I've never seen him go on anything besides the Ferris wheel, which is like the only ride that I kind of like. Um, and then we get to, to Disneyland and he's like, we're going on the upside down roller coaster, right? We're going on this like crazy G-force ride, right? And I'm like, no, you can, you can all you want. My happy ass is staying on the ground, um, which is what ended up happening for the majority of the rides, except for he did convince me to try Splash Mountain. Um, and I, I didn't know what Splash Mountain was. Like I knew obviously there's water, um, and it was a mountain, but as we were like in line, I'm reading about like reading the description about Splash Mountain and it ends with a five story drop. And I like, we went on the Ferris wheel earlier in the day and we went on the ones like, instead of it being solid, it had the ability to swing. And I thought I was going to pee my pants doing that. So the fact that I went on Splash Mountain, um, is amazing. And I didn't die. Um, I thought I, I thought I was going to die. I did not. We made it. We made it through. Um, I did cry afterwards. I'm not gonna lie. I went and cried in the bathroom because I was very overstimulated. Um, but we made it. My favorite ride of all of them was the Rise of the Resistance in Star Wars Land. Um, that it was a super cool, super cool experience. Um, honestly, like I don't even know how to describe it. Super trippy, especially if you like Star Wars, which. I do. Um, I was getting like goosebumps. They like did a really, really good job recreating some of the scenes from the the newer Star Wars um, shows, movies, whatever. That I was like, oh my god, we're getting like um, filtered in, like like we're in jail from like the stormtroopers. It was it was a lot, but it was super cool. So that is a little bit of a catch up from my personal life. We got back on. Monday yeah Monday um kind of the middle of the day and it took oh gosh Monday Tuesday probably like Wednesday Thursday before I started to feel like myself turns out it was just a lot um a lot of stuff for my body like a lot of walking a lot of um different foods drinking things that I like don't normally do in my day-to-day routine so kind of feeling back to my normal self um, my husband went back to Alaska, so it's just me and the nuggy chilling at home, which is not unusual. Um, so yeah, I'm excited, excited to get back into the routine of things. Today's topic, now that we're like seven minutes into this podcast episode, was um, one of the questions asked when I was traveling down to California. I did a little question box on my Instagram story um, where people could ask me questions and then I answered some of them as I was like bebopping around, but there was one that I literally have been thinking about since it like popped up into my little like notifications. Um, Sammy asked me this one and it says, in your opinion, what knowledge slash skills should someone have before becoming a pole instructor? And I've been thinking about it 
every, um, literally almost every day, um, because I feel like it's a really important question to be asked, but I also feel like I'm going to get roasted for sharing my opinion. So I guess I want to very much highlight that this is my opinion. And if you feel differently, I'm fine with that. It was a question asked of me. So I'm just going to share my thoughts. And my first point that I want to make is you can be a really, really amazing pole dancer and not be a good pole instructor. Teaching is very, very different than doing. And I don't feel like enough people realize that. And like, I guess like period, right? So a lot of times, a lot of instructors that I've talked to, they progressed quickly. There was a need for an instructor at a studio and there wasn't a lot of thought potentially or consideration being obviously displayed in, yes, you can do these really cool things, but does that mean you have the awareness, the body mechanics, understanding, the communication skills to teach someone how to do it. And I will just highlight for my own self that there are a lot of really cool tricks that I can do that I wouldn't, without a lot of like thought and effort going into it, be able to teach another person how to do The immediate second point that comes up in my brain is a lot of times studios will have new instructors teach beginner students and that drives me bonkers for a wide variety of different reasons. One, I think it downplays the importance of the beginner level, like the foundations that people build in their pole journey, right? If you're not learning how to properly push-pull, if you're not learning how to do the basic moves, that your foundation is like super rocky. And if you have a new instructor coming in that may or may not have the best teaching skills, teaching beginner students how to do things, it's like a little bit of like the blind leading the blind, right? And that is a recipe for people to not have a good time, which is important, and then people to get hurt and or develop like really shitty habits that they carry with them for longer than they would need to if they would have been taught by a more seasoned instructor. So if you are a new teacher, I would actually recommend that you start at maybe the higher beginner level, potentially even low intermediate level, because by that point, people tend to have better body awareness. They're stronger. They can kind of read a little bit between the lines with like your lack of communication skills and potentially your lack of like knowledge about how to teach things. Um, And most of the time I would say are at the level where they can watch someone do something and feel pretty safe attempting it and then get out of the move and come down and be like, hey, I have questions about X, Y, and Z. Not saying that Um, you should not be able to teach how to do intermediate, beginner, high beginner, low intermediate level skills, but there's less, um, I feel like it's like less of like the blind leading the blind where it's like, 
you know, a little bit more of like, you can have some gaps in your ability to instruct and be working with people that already have that like movement background, that movement knowledge to be able to kind of look past the gaps. And beginner students don't. Like they, they're so new, they're going to like hang on to like every little word that their instructor says or doesn't say um, and potentially fill it in with their own like misconception about about things. So new instructors, in my opinion, should not be teaching brand new pool students, which then comes to my next point in a lot of people that I've talked to that are instructors start instructing very early on into their poll career, their poll journey, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've talked to people that have been doing poll for like just over a year that started being an instructor. And not that you can't know a lot of things one year in to your poll journey. I'm just trying to think of another form of movement where you could say, I've only been doing this for a year and now I'm being paid to teach other people how to do it. Especially, especially because not every studio requires that you go through any sort of like formal teacher certification. Um, that isn't, that isn't like a, a blanket requirement for poll studios. Like you could literally be teaching or literally be going to poll for one year, progress quickly, and then become an instructor at a studio with no like personal training background, no group instructor background, no poll specific certification, literally just like one year of doing a movement and now you're teaching other people how to do it. That seems very chaotic to me. Um, very chaotic. And I literally was just imagining like I, I've been like doing like YouTube ballet, right? So I, let's say I decided I'm going to go to ballet classes and I go for a year and then I decide that I'm going to start taking or teaching ballet classes and I'm going to start teaching beginner ballet classes because that's what typically happens. Like new, new instructors are teaching beginner students. Like it wouldn't happen, right? Like it would not happen. And I know ballet is like a very technical um, form of moving, but sub it with like any other sort of like dance or gymnastics thing, right? Like I decide I'm going to go take gymnastics lessons one year from now. I feel like I'm able to start teaching people to do gymnastics seems like a recipe for incredibly high injury rates to be occurring. Oh, wouldn't you know, pole has incredibly high injury rates. I wonder if they're related. So I guess to be a little bit more clear with, in my opinion, some things that should happen if you want to teach pole is having more than a year experience doing the movement. Um, I don't know where the threshold of like, should you be doing it for three years? Should you be doing it for five years? Like where that connection point should be or like that like cutoff point should be. But you should be doing this form of moving for longer than a year, in my opinion. And I also do believe that you should have some sort of movement background certification. So whether it's a personal training certification, a group instructor certification, one of the formal pole training certifications, and I 
know that a lot of people have a really a lot of really strong opinions about the poll certifications that exist. Um, I too have some feelings about some of them, but at least it's something, right? Like you could say that you have some sort of formal training in this movement form specifically, and then adding on any sort of like group training um, certification, I think would be really great. I don't have that personally, but I feel like that's um, a super smart one to have some sort of like anatomy, physiology, exercise science certification to be able to build on and then apply things to poll. And because I'm a little bit of a shady bitch, I will share my experience with things. Um, So I... How long had I been pole dancing at this point? Maybe two to three-ish years into my pole journey, the studio that I was training at had an instructor opening. They required that you had some sort of pole certification to be able to be considered. Like, they wouldn't consider you. Um, they wouldn't even, like, accept your application if you didn't have some something. Um, and so I went to a... It's a weekend. It was two days. Two, yeah, I think two days. Um, two day training. I'm not gonna name who because, eh. Um, and it was shocking. <laughs> it was super shocking to see what was being taught and how, in my opinion, easy it was to pass the certification. And I don't necessarily think it needs to be like super challenging, but if that's going to be the like entry level to being able to teach and to be responsible for people's bodies. Um, It needs to be a little bit more based in science and a little bit more in depth. And I think um, having it be more days potentially would be would be better and or less material. Um, So the one that I went to linked level ones and level twos together. And if that amount of information meant that we had to stay at the superficial level that we stayed at. I think having each one of them broken up into a two-day thing so we could really get into more of the like nitty-gritty aspects of teaching um, and communicating and working with different body types, working with different learning styles, more into the anatomy, the biomechanics, um, exercise, like science, like building a training um, routine, structuring training, troubleshooting, all of those, all of those types of things. Um, but it was, it was a very, it was a lot of information crammed into a very short of time, short amount of time. And I feel like we just like skimmed the surface with the amount of, amount of knowledge that like ideally you would have left with. Um, and I gave that feedback and it was not super well received, which is fine. Um, which kind of builds on to my next point, if you're looking at becoming a pole teacher, is really taking the responsibility that you have over other people's bodies very seriously. So if you do choose to do a weekend certification, realize that that is literally like step one and what should be a like multiple step journey. There's no way that you could learn all of the information you need to learn about teaching in two days. So spending time, whether it's like 
with in other courses or on your own and investing in your like movement knowledge your background so that when you have people come to you asking questions you're being able to give them like a evidence-based a science-based response which I myself have like I've asked my instructors especially when I was beginning um, a beginning poll person I asked them a lot of questions that like I don't know how they would have known um, and then now that I teach like intro and beginner level poll some of the questions that like students will ask me I'm like dude you are getting into like really nitty-gritty things that like I I have the background in like the human body and like anatomy and biomechanics to be able to answer but most people wouldn't know that unless they truly invested a lot of extra time money effort in like understanding the human body and understanding movement so I guess kind of a squirrel moment off of that I think it is really important that you continuously invest in your own movement practice and also in your own teaching journey. So taking classes around biomechanics, anatomy, communication, um, reading books, watching webinars, those sorts of things. But then also realizing that students are going to ask you questions that are kind of out of, they kind of seem like out of, they're out of left field and just being like, you need to go talk to your provider about that. You need to go talk to somebody else. I don't know enough about whatever to have an opinion to be able to give you and like an educated answer and you're worth more than me just guessing which is where I think kind of circling back to the certification things if you have a personal training certification or a group training certification for it to remain active you have to take continuing education courses and I know a lot of people get salty about that, but it forces you to continue learning. And if all you're doing is just the poll-based ones, there's no required continuing education for it to remain current. You literally pay the fee, you go for the two days, and then you're just certified forever. Not understanding that like movement and research and all of that is like continually evolving or there's other ways of looking at movement. Um, you literally could just be like, oh, I did it. And it's not that good in general. So let's do more. Oh, I will also add being CPR and first aid certified is something that I think like should just be the baseline requirement for all people that are teaching movement. And then I feel like I'm having a lot of squirrel moments in this episode, but I want to circle back to people asking you questions about things that are outside of your scope as an instructor. And I feel like that's something that I also wish more instructors realize like you have a scope of knowledge a scope of practice like you have boundaries around what you and I'm going to say should communicate with your students about and what things should be left to other types of of people right so if someone is coming to you and saying they're having pain with a pole move for example and well within your scope to be like hey can we switch you know where your arm is where your leg is can we try x can we try y um and see if you can find a more productive position or engagement for that position but if someone is coming up to you and saying my shoulder hurts every single time I come to pole class like it doesn't matter what position we're in what trick we're doing I'm having shoulder pain 
unless they you are like a provider yourself um that is like outside of your bubble of things to talk to them about right like it's not your responsibility to try and diagnose and or treat their shoulder pain maybe you've gone to physical therapy in the past maybe you've had a shoulder injury in the past um there's a very fine line between like you sharing your experience and what is being viewed as you like treating them. And if you don't have a license to treat someone that is injured, you're putting yourself in a risky position because students can take your advice and deem it as like medical advice. And if shit hits the fan, they can sue you for giving them like inaccurate medical advice without a license. And I don't know of anyone that has like actually had that happen, but I know that it is a possibility. And that is not something that I want to have be your reality. So if it someone's dealing with an injury that is outside of your scope as an instructor, they need to go see their provider. You can help them like modify around injuries um, in your own classes, but there's like a hard cap around like, I'm going to help you try to position differently around the pole versus go do this exercise because that's what my physio told me to do. And in case you couldn't tell, that's a position that I ha- I'm fiery about and I'm fiery about it because I've talked to quite a few people that delayed going to get assessed by a rehab specialist because they were doing what their pole instructor told them to do for exercises instead. And it just prolonged their injury a lot longer than it needed to be because they were not weren't doing the right things. Um, and like the pole instructor didn't, didn't have the knowledge to like actually give them that advice. Um, and it just, yeah, it riles me up a little bit. And then the final point that I will end this on is a lot of people downplay the soft skills that come in with being an instructor, being a coach. Um, They tend to brush them off as not super important and focus more on like the technical aspects of things, but being able to communicate well and articulate what you would like someone to be able to do is super important as a pole instructor, super important as a coach in general. Um, and it's where a lot of a lot of people struggle with knowing what they want someone to do with their body and being able to formulate the words where the person that is listening to them is able to understand what, what you want them to do, right? Like that is... Um, that it can be really tricky, especially if you're working with someone that doesn't have a lot of body awareness or doesn't have a wide movement background. And a lot of, a lot, I feel like a lot of people, one, downplay it. And then two, a lot of people learn like a way to cue something, a way to teach how to get into a trick. And if that one way doesn't work for a few people in the class, they don't, the instructor doesn't have another way to to teach that move or to like articulate themselves to be like oh I want you to be able to do like x y and z um that is a skill set that takes effort to develop and it is a skill set that I think you need to forever be working on and expanding on and part of it can come from teaching 
more classes, right? Like interacting with more people, finding out what cues work well for some people, what, what cues work well for other people, being able to pull analogies and like internal versus external cues out for people to be able to do the things that they want to do. Um, but if you are more of a robotic, I guess-esque um, instructor, which is one of the downfalls I, I think of, at least the poll um, certification that I went to, is they wanted you to cue things like one, two, three. And that was like the, like it was very articulated. That was like the only way to cue that move. When there's lots of different ways to articulate movement, a lot of ways to describe movement, it doesn't always have to be that one way. But if you don't take the time to learn other ways, then you're only going to have one one way of describing things and that like it works for most people I'll be honest like that's probably why they're in the certification like notebooks and tests but eventually you're going to come across a person that it doesn't work for and I think being a good instructor means that you have more tools in your tool belt besides just the one thing and then finally I I guess I just want to touch on the fact that depending upon how you view your instructor job and I I feel like I have like kind of a conjumbled thought process on this but I know for myself for an example I don't teach as um like a main way of earning income right like my two classes a week that I teach um like cover access to my classes that I take to train for myself and like a little bit of extra like fun money but I'm not like relying on my income from teaching to be able to survive and I feel like that's the case for more pole instructors than not at least the studios that I've trained at um, the majority of people teach a handful of classes a week and there may be you know an instructor or two that teaches more and they're typically the studio owners or they have like some sort of like vested interest in the the studio but for most instructors teaching is like a a little side hustle thing um and I think a lot of people can downplay the importance of that job um like you you really truly do have people's bodies in your hands when you are teaching from the beginner all the way up level right people are trusting you to to help guide them through their pole journey in a safe manner and that is something that I wish more more broadly instructors realized and took seriously and I don't know if people like don't take it seriously but being as I primarily work with pole dancers that are injured, I get to hear stories about how instructors unintentionally harm students. Like, don't provide proper guidance, aren't providing proper cueing or proper spotting, um, and the students are the ones that walk away injured. And maybe the instructor knows, maybe not. It turns out a lot of um, a lot of people don't go back to their instructors and say, "Hey, I was injured in your class last week, and now I'm like having to go through like rehab to be able to, you know, put my shirt on." Like, I don't know if that conversation is happening 
with the instructor but I know I get to hear them I get to to hear them I get to see people I get to help people get back to doing things which I like absolutely love but I wish it was more like broadly understood that instructing especially like pole is dangerous right and people get pissy at me for saying that but you the injury risk of doing something wrong of falling out of a trick because you didn't understand your contact points you didn't understand where your grip was coming from um, your teacher was pushing you past like a productive level of things not doing a proper warm-up a proper cool down um, these have potentially like lifelong implications for your students so take it seriously even if it's just a like side hustle or a way to earn like a little bit of extra money um, beyond like your normal job. And I will add that I feel like there is a lot of opportunity for people to turn their aerial coaching, their pole instructor coaching into a career. I'm not saying that it always has to be this little side hustle um, side job thing. I know of quite a few people that help guide um, instructors into having this be their like full-time career because the power of the internet is that you can have a career with your instructing and there's a lot of really cool people in the world that like I follow that I pay money to on a monthly basis to learn from. Um, so that is a is a potential but if you want to get to that level if that's kind of your aspiration then you have to shift your mindset around like oh I'm just going to go take a weekend course and then call it a day and like no this is something that you need to invest like time energy and money into becoming really good at so that you can properly guide people through their journeys and help them get the results that they're hoping for. I'm going to end the episode I feel like I've rambled quite a bit hoping I didn't put my foot in my mouth too much. Um, like I said at the beginning of the episode that this is just my opinion about what I feel like instructors should have um, knowledge education wise before becoming an instructor. Um, if you have additions or you disagree, I would love to have a constructive conversation um, around that. So feel free to send me a message um, or an email and I'll catch you in the next one. Okay, bye.